following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. All right. Good evening, everyone. Glad that you're here uh, tonight to participate in the ministry of the Word. And if you're online, thank you for joining us. I'd like to report to our church family that we uh, have had a number of visitors uh, watching online. I've mentioned before we have often uh, one of uh, our friends from Florida uh, watching online and uh, a family we know from the state of Texas and uh, recently been able to make a a new contact with uh, a fellow uh, who has become a friend and his wife who are uh, in Ypsilanti but are by health reasons can't come out and uh, I can tell you the further story about that if you want some time, but uh, we're glad that uh, they are on with us as well. Uh, not sure if they're on tonight, but often on Sundays they do participate now, so that's been a nice little uh, thing uh, for me as well. Um, while I'm here, I'm going to just mention we uh, are always looking for uh, good resources for the uh, church library, and so I picked up a number of these at with some good recommendations uh, recently. I'm going to be hanging on to these for the moment so I can get a look at them. Uh, This is Diagramming the Scriptures. I mentioned this to the men. And uh, so uh, here we have uh, loads of worksheets and uh, examples of scriptures that, uh, well, if you were to check this out, you know, don't write in the book. But, uh, (laughs) um, yeah, whoever gets it first gets all the benefit, right? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that's not meant to be a consumable, but we can always replace it if there is a, a mistake, say. But that's interesting. Uh, also, uh, Vadi Bakum has written a book, Fault Lines. Uh, ben is reading that. Uh, this is about the social justice movement. In fact, all these books are um, Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice is uh, the second one in this set. Uh, The third one is Confronting Injustice Without Compromising the Truth by Thaddeus Williams. He's come with some recommendations uh, from others that I know have read on the subject more than I have. I'm a little behind on this subject, I feel. And then this one is by Rod Dreer, who I think wrote the Benedict Option. Um, This is called Live Not by Lies, a Manual for Christian Dissidents. So this is uh, from information and experience gleaned from those who lived in communist countries uh, and how they had to uh, live as Christians. So I will uh, look at those and let you get a look at those as well at some time here. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5, if you would please. Turn your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 5. We're... Traversing through the second part of this uh, chapter, verses 21 to 48, and we have looked at our Lord's instruction in which he is talking about the need to fulfill the law for righteousness, and it's going to uh, cause us to realize that we cannot do that on our own. But this is the standard of the king the standard of our King, the Lord Jesus, who gives his first major sermon as recorded by Matthew 
a number of discourses that Matthew uh, records, but this is the first one, and it's lengthy, three chapters in total. And uh, he, the Lord speaks about the spiritual nature of the requirements in the law, not just merely external behavior, but also internal behavior. If you are here, if you've been listening at all, if you've been part of this church, you know that Christian faith is not a matter merely of externals. That is for religion. That is not for Christianity, which is not technically uh, to be classed with all other religions in the world. However, most people would say it is a religion. Yes, I understand that. Um, Is the young man paying attention back there? Or is he out? Oh, wow. Okay. So... um, we turn our attention to the second part of this chapter 5. We've looked at uh, the matter of murder beginning in the heart, adultery in the heart, not just external observation, but uh, internal factors in the heart. Uh, we looked at marriage and divorce in verses 31 to 32 um, and spent quite some time on that. And now tonight we come to verse 33, verse 33. It says in 33, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. So remember what we said last time that, uh, actually two times ago now as well, that the Lord says, you know, you've heard it said. Well, this is the traditional teaching that they have received, taken from the law of Moses and kind of you know, left in the mere external realm or modified, as we'll see as we come to uh, the command to love our enemies, modified in some way that makes it that it's not in accordance with the intention that God gave the law. And so he says, you've heard it said, verse 34, but I say to you, do not swear at all. Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So we'll spend a few minutes looking at this matter of oaths. The swearing of oaths had become a very dirty business in Israel. They had some cultural practice where you could make an oath by something and not be obligated to that oath. And by some other things, if you made oaths by them, then you would be obligated to them. We see this in Matthew chapter 23 when the Lord rebukes the Pharisees and the scribes, those hypocrites, as he said, eight times, uh, them and the lawyers rebuking them. But in Matthew 23, 16, listen to this. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. So they could say, you know, I, 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 I swear I'm telling the truth or I promise to do this by the temple of God. But then they say it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform whatever that oath was. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? They had it all backwards. In any case, they weren't supposed to swear by either of those things, but 
They made the lesser greater and the greater lesser. Verse 18, and whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Wow. That's what they were doing with their oaths, though. So you were representing by making one of these false oaths that you would keep the oath. You're making a promise. But it was like making a promise like this, right? With the fingers crossed, you remember that? Uh, I saw a picture of a guy who was um, making his oath like you would make in a courtroom. And uh, he, he was like this. With his right hand, he had his fingers crossed, and he had his left hand raised. <laughs> and you could see him from the back angle in this picture, like see his finger and see his left hand, and you're like, this is not right. This is all backwards. Um, these oaths were outright lies intended to bring some advantage to the false swearer of the oath. You know, there had, there had to be some advantage to them. I mean, they, they lied to kind of get themselves out of something or, or whatever it was. I don't know. What, you know, the, every situation is different. But it, it's really almost like childish, childish sin. Just going right back to the very, you know, early days of, of youth when you're, you know, crossing your fingers and all this kind of crazy stuff. Um, because you don't understand how to speak the right way. The law did clearly say, however, not to swear falsely. So, for example, back in Leviticus uh, 19, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse number 12, it says, And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And then another one is in Numbers chapter 30. I'm just going through these to show you that the law was very clear. Swearing a false oath was a big no-no. Obviously, God took man's... He he intended man's word to be good. Numbers 30, verse 2. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by any agreement, he shall not break his word... He shall do according to all the proceeds out of his mouth. Kind of sounds like God hates lies, doesn't he? Yeah, well, doesn't the Bible say that? He hates a lying tongue. Proverbs, was it 16 or 6? I always get it confused. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17. Um, Or Deuteronomy chapter 23. Deuteronomy 23 and verse number 21. Deuteronomy 23 and verse 21. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. And then verse 23. That which is gone from your lips you shall keep and perform, for you voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you promised with your mouth. You know, nobody was twisting your arm behind your back when you opened your big trap and you made that promise. 
It kind of reminds me of the guys that are in the foxhole, and they say, Lord, if you save me, I'll do, you know, my whole life will be yours. Okay, well, that's a big statement. Hope you, hope you obey that. I mean, hope you keep it. <laughs> hope you keep it. Um, but notice verse 22 of this same chapter, Deuteronomy 23, 22. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. That's very interesting. The Lord's going to pick up that idea here as we look at in just a moment. And then the last one, I think, yeah, the last one and the kind of positive teaching on this is in Ecclesiastes. And so I want to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 just briefly with you. It says Ecclesiastes 5 verse 4, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. Why? Because he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. To vow and not pay. Now the law had um, a provision in it that if um, uh, in a household, if a woman made a vow and the husband heard of it, it was up to him whether to affirm it or to deny it. And if, if there was a denial of it, then they had a pr- procedure to go through. But if he heard it and he didn't say anything, then it stood against the woman and she had to you know, do whatever her vow was. But I, I really appreciate that uh, matter of that, the, the word of God noticing the headship in the home, that the wife cannot just obligate the husband, say, to do something or obligate a bunch of finances to something or obligate some time to something that she hasn't checked with her husband the head of the house on that matter. Um, but we won't get into all of that uh, any more than that, just saying that this evening. So he, you know, the law very clearly do not uh, swear falsely. In Jeremiah chapter 5 and 7, we won't go there, but there are examples of uh, breaking of the law found there in those two verses. The sin that's involved here is that this is a vow to God and when it's broken it shows you have a low view of God. I swear by God that I'll do whatever you say and then you don't do it. What does that say about your view of God? You're saying it's eh, whatever. You know, I, I don't even I don't even like using that language. I'm using it illustratively, but you have the point. So it shows you have a low view of of our great God. You promise to him and in his name and then ignore the importance of God's name. Now, Jesus upgraded our understanding of the meaning of this by teaching that because the thing, thing by which you swear an oath, if it's not God, cannot do anything to enforce the oath anyway, then you shouldn't make it at all. I mean, think about it. I swear by the temple. What's the temple going to do? Right? Well, then he says it's by, by the temple and him who dwells in it. So, but these objects that they were pretending or some kind of sacred objects or rabbit's feet or something weren't going to do anything. Um, and so, uh, you know, sometimes in, in history, I was reading on this a little bit, some in uh, Germanic tribes would swear by their weapons. They would swear by their weapons. Why? They were saying, if I don't keep this vow, then it's as if I'm saying, may my weapons kill me. Some swore on the head of a bear, a dead bear. By so saying, they said, if I don't keep this vow, then may a bear eat me. Some by a tiger's head. I think that was in India. Isn't it true if somebody gets 
if it's is it somebody eaten by a tiger, they can't they're not going to be reincarnated or something. I can't remember how that is. You'd have to look that up. But that's their that's their imagination of what it is like. Uh, by if you swear by heaven or earth or Jerusalem or whatever, all of that belongs to God, and none of it can enforce the oath if the oath is broken. Now, what if you make an oath and then for some reason cannot keep it because of some circumstances that come up outside of your control? Well, in God's economy, it's still a sin because you should not have spoken rashly with your mouth to make that vow without knowing, oh, I can't do that because I have this other thing on my calendar or you know, some other circumstance came up and I'm not going to be able to, to uh, fill, you know, fulfill the vow. Now, it's a sin if you can't, but you, and you can be forgiven just like for any other sin. Now, in this world, for those of us that may be on the receiving end of a promise where somebody can't keep it, we have to understand that there are unavoidable problems that cause people to miss obligations in this world. But if that missed obligation that they've bound themselves to but with their word, even just with a yes, yes or no, no, uh, if it's for silly reasons or no discernible reason at all that they can't come, then I think it's worthy of a, of a little poke, you know, and a little encouragement. Say, hey, brother, you said you were going to be here. I don't see you here or you're not coming like you're supposed to. You know, then if there's a pattern of this, in, for sure we should call out our friends for not being people of their word. We should expect and show people that we expect them to be people of their word. I've had uh, some occasion to have people who, I've given them the benefit of the doubt, but then they don't keep their word again and again, and then I just say, well, I'll let them say whatever they're going to say in the future, but I'm just not going to count on it. Which is, you know, I'm almost like don't even write it on my calendar. I'll believe it if I see it or whatever. Um, it's not good. The solution to all of this, our Lord advises, is, but I say to you, do not swear at all. Do not swear at all. Just don't have any oaths. Just say yes or no and mean it. We should be people known for keeping our word. Our word is good. Now, often, not often, I should say. I, I do often feel this way, but don't often, aren't it? are not able often to do this where if I'm conducting business, say, for the, the church or the, at the house or something, where I'm able to just say to somebody, yeah, I like your bid or your whatever you're going to do, do it, you know, without having to shake a hand even or, say, or sign a contract. But that's not how business works today, right? So you've got to sign a contract. A handshake used to be sufficient between, you know, honest farmers back in the day, and uh, they'd just do what they said they were going to do. Didn't need a written contract. But the point is, our yes should be yes, and our no should be no. And if we continued on in 2 Corinthians, we'd see that issue come up because Paul says, you know, hey, look, it, I was planning to do you know, what I said I was planning to do in 1 Corinthians 16, but then something came up. I had to change my plans in part because I didn't want to come to you again in sorrow because you had such problems there and I had to be so harsh the last time and I had the severe letter and it was just awful and I didn't want to go there because, you know, the people who are supposed to make me joyful, I'd be making them sad and it just was a difficult situation. So 
change in circumstances, and he did change his plans. But uh, we'll, we have to leave room for that sort of thing in this world. Now, what the Lord teaches at the end of verse 37 is interesting. If you go beyond yes, yes, no, no, that is, you give your word and it's a good word, whatever is more than these is from the evil one. That's pretty strict, isn't it? Pretty strict. One second, excuse me. This from Satan. There's too much possibility of evil when you make an oath. And so it's best to avoid it altogether. Ask Jephthah. Remember? The first thing that comes out of my house when I come back from my victory. Think, 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 okay? Winnie the Pooh, uh, use your brain. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's not good. Now, just one little other comment. Um, This sometimes comes up in a more uh, kind of official setting uh, where if you're in a courtroom, you might hear them say, do you swear to tell the whole truth? And I would counsel you this way. You can avoid swearing an oath in a courtroom setting if you feel that is wrong to do. I, I personally wouldn't say that. I would say this. I solemnly affirm that I will tell the whole truth, or I do so affirm, or something to that effect. That's your way of letting the court know that your yes is yes and your no is no. That is a well-known um, approach in uh, you know, courts of law. I maybe talk to our brother James about that afterwards, but uh, that is a matter that is well-known, and uh, I would advise that if you would like to avoid even using the terminology of swearing an oath. Because we want to follow what the Lord has said here. All right. Uh, 538. Now, in my Bible, I have in my study, uh, not a, it's not a study Bible, really a reference Bible here. It has the title, Go the Second Mile. And I didn't title my notes that way. I just titled it under the heading of Vengeance, although I understand why they have the, the second mile uh, thing here. Um, He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So Jesus is going to be now speaking about the attitude that we approach other people with when there is a problem. He says in verse 39, but I say to you not to resist an evil person. So instead of demanding the eye for the eye and the tooth for the tooth, don't resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. And I think this is relatively closely connected to the section in verse 43 and following about loving your enemies. One of the world's greatest difficulties, my friends, is this, that people want revenge against their enemies, Um, individual enemies, family enemies, national enemies. They will not rest until they are satisfied that the just deserts of sin, they think, are visited upon those who did the sin. And this yields 
a cycle of unending violence between groups of people because the one is wronged, then the other one retaliates, then the first retaliates for the retaliation, and this cycle often continues even intergenerationally, okay? I'll give you illustration, you know, just by legend, the Hatfields and the McCoys, right? Um, and I don't even know the real story behind all of that, but uh, there's a funny uh, Andy Griffith episode where there's two families feuding against each other, and they don't even remember why they're feuding. They, don't, they, just, they just know that they kind of shoot at each other and, you know, try to miss so they don't actually kill anybody. But, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's a humorous illustration that teaches the point, but there are really things like that in the world. Um, you know, I, I think of an example at a national scale of uh, Israel and Hamas, uh, and uh, you know, folks in the Gaza Strip and, and, and the north of Israel, you know, they lob rockets into Israel, thousands of them at, at various times, hundreds and thousands, and then and then they wonder why Israel responds, and then Israel responds, and then they say, well, we've got to respond back, and stop already, stop already, you know, don't destroy yourselves, don't be dumb. But that cycle often continues intergenerationally. And the problem is that vengeance is in the human heart. People are so prone to overdo their form of justice that really justice is entirely lacking. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Let's look at that in Exodus 21. Now, what is this law? Exodus 21, verse 23. Actually, I could start back in verse 22. This is a key verse in the abortion situation. Exodus 21, 22. If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him. So even if the baby is born, there's still a punishment for the man, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any harm follows, by that I understand the baby dies, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. If a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. That's how serious God is about the integrity of the human body. No injuries. And if he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of his tooth. And then he goes on to talk about an ox goring a man. And if the, if the ox did that one time, and uh, if uh, he, the ox was known to do that and he wasn't you know, put down or he wasn't penned in properly, then the owner would be responsible and would be put to death. Uh, so you have this, it's very clear, this lex talionis, as it is called, the law, the law of retaliation. This was a limit on both the lower side and the upper side. Okay? It was a limit on the upper end and as far as what could be done to an offender. If he knocked out your tooth, you couldn't take his life. Not proportional. 
Okay? It was also a law of proportionality on the lower end. Okay? If, you, if a guy kills somebody, you can't just knock out his tooth as punishment for that. Okay? What did Genesis 9-6 say? guy that takes somebody's life by man's blood, his blood, by man, his blood shall be shed. So the, the proportionality is the issue here, that you can't go beyond, but you can't go underneath either. There has to be a proportional response to the crime that was done. In fact, if somebody uh, brought somebody to court falsely and they intended to do, you know, achieve X punishment for the person they falsely accused and they were found out to be false, then they actually received the punishment that they intended to bring upon the person that they falsely accused. This was a sure way to keep frivolous lawsuits down to a minimum because the person bringing the charge had to recognize that they could be liable. In other words, it's, it's like it's not like filling out a multiple choice answer on a test where there's no negative consequence for filling a wrong answer. You know, if you get five, if you're at the end of the time and there's five questions left, just fill in A-A-A-A-A and at least get maybe one of them right. But on a test where filling all those in, you get them wrong is negative points, that changes the calculus altogether, doesn't it? So it is for, a, for somebody who is worried that if they are found out to be false at a court, or brought false charges, they might get the penalty. They're going to not go to court just as quickly as, as they could. That would be a good law uh, to have consistently applied in our own country, I think, wouldn't it? Yes. Um, so instead, um, well, let me say this. What was wrong here, what was going on, was the law had become misappropriated to the point of personal retaliation where it encouraged on a personal level, if you were slapped, slap back harder. If you, uh, you know, you, you would refuse to help somebody or whatever. Uh, and this, this is telling us that on a personal level, we don't do that. Okay? Instead, the Lord Jesus teaches his people to turn the cheek, give the extra clothing, go the extra mile, lend, do not turn others away. But these are not mechanical, again. Remember, we said these aren't to be obeyed in a mechanical kind of fashion as if you know it comes to an absurdity like you'll give away all your clothes or something and not have any left. Um, they represent an entirely different mindset than vengeance. They represent patience, submission, care, love, compassion, and they will all apply at some point in your life. Uh, you know, you'll have circumstances that these kinds of things come into play. When the Lord teaches us not to resist an evil person, he is not approving of acts of war against a nation or you or other criminal behavior. Okay, this is more like, um, well, let me say this first. Government is supposed to handle those kinds of things. So when he says, you know, you're not to get involved in personal retaliation, that doesn't mean that you can't report the person to the police, if they you know, assault you or commit battery, as it's called, against you, um, or other criminal behaviors. He's talking about us as individuals. And I don't read this to, to prohibit self-defense in the case of criminal behavior or the government from, turning, uh, from, from afflicting a malefactor, okay? If there's a criminal and he needs to be afflicted, you know, 
corporal punishment or jail or fines or even the death penalty, then the corporate government is able to do that. We are not as individuals called to do that. Okay? The evil that we are to let go here are in the nature of interpersonal offenses, speech and the like. Now, I do believe the slap in the face is literal, but we can also apply it figuratively. Some, somebody does something to you that's outrageous, and you say, what a slap in the face. Now, they didn't actually slap you in the face, but they slapped you in the face, metaphorically. This means that you must not do the same thing back to them. Just ignore it and move on. Okay, Just ignore it and move on. Don't take everything so personally. Okay. Now, there will be an appropriate vengeance at some point. Let me go back, by the way, to that, that thing about self-defense and criminality. The law, I was speaking with our brother about this, and I've been thinking of writing on it now, but I haven't. Um, the law permits uh, and, and re- actually recognizes that we have a right to self-defense. Now, that means that if there's a criminal act that is being perpetrated upon you, you are able to defend yourself, and I don't think that entails any breaking of this law. That's a criminality. That is a felony, say, uh, matter. That's not a slap in the face, some kind of offense, some kind of blasphemy or slander or, or something like that. It's a different matter, and you are able and recognized to be able to defend yourself, even to the use of great bodily harm against those who come against you or your family, your wife, or kids, or whatever. So, uh, and this also is no argument for pacifism. See, the people that read this and say, well, this means no war, they obviously didn't read most of the rest of their Bible, because there's plenty of war in there. And the Lord said, there will be wars and rumors of wars throughout all time, and we're not expected to sit by and let an evil nation just come in, overrun, and, and harm and kill and steal and thieve and destroy and all of that. We can defend ourselves individually, but also nationally. This is on an individual level that Jesus is talking here. Finally, there will come at the appropriate point in history vengeance, but it will come from God. Okay, Uh, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So give place to wrath, give place to God to take care of that. Romans 12, 19, Deuteronomy 32, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 30. One of God's ways of doing that is to use his agents in the government, which as a corporate body executes the wrath of God upon evildoers. That's why they don't bear the sword in vain or at least the government should execute God's wrath upon evildoers. But even then, vengeance does not happen completely in this life. And I think you are under no uh, illusion that somebody murders an innocent person, that murderer goes to jail with life without parole, or maybe even life with parole, or some other longer sentence that they can get out of jail, and uh, whether they're out or in doesn't really matter. They're alive, and the person they killed is not alive. The family has bereft of the person that was murdered. Nobody really says that that's commensurate justice 
in our circles. Somebody may say that out in the world who has a false view of, of righteousness, but that's not commensurate to the, the, or proportional to the crime. So even then, vengeance has not been completely meted out. But God will judge men after they die. And then the appropriate punishment will be delivered to those that are not in Christ. To those who have come to Christ, he has taken the punishment on himself for their misconduct. But we need to have that mindset that God's, to God belongs the vengeance and it will come about as he designs it to come about. Just because it doesn't come about in this life, don't let your hearts be troubled, friends. It will come. All of those people who are wicked people, even if they prosper in this life, you know, they will face God and be rewarded in accordance with what? Revelation 20 tells us their works. Their works. They will be judged according to their works. And we know how that's going to turn out. Because you can either be judged by your own works or by Christ's works. I'll take Christ's works in substitution for mine, right? I'm with you, you know, um, because mine aren't going to cut it. They're not going to get me far at all, except down. You know what I mean, down. <laughs> not going to go up with those. So we trust the Lord about that. So that is vengeance, and that is oaths. And so we've learned a little bit more, just inching our way along here. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity tonight. We've had to study your word and to look into it. We pray that your hand will guide us as we think about these matters. And uh, may our lives bear fruit that is commensurate with the repentance that you have granted to us. In Jesus' name, amen.